Episode 159 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the Australian tennis legend Yvonne Goolagong Corley, one of the world's top players in the 1970s and 80s. Yvonne won seven Grand Slam singles titles, including Wimbledon twice, six in women's doubles, and once in mixed doubles. She held the world number one ranking in 1971 and 1976, and she retired in 1983. This interview took place shortly before Wimbledon in 2011. Listen out for the name of the then 14-year-old Australian girl Yvonne tips for future success in her sport. It was lovely to watch you on the telly uh, presenting the trophy at the ladies' final at the French Open. That was uh, such a wonderful honour to be asked. <laughs> it uh, certainly brought back a lot of you know, wonderful memories for me because that was actually my first Grand Slam. My first Grand Slam. And it was actually Lee Nars' first Grand Slam. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was 19 and then uh, obviously went on straight from there and won Wimbledon in 71. Were you not tempted to stay over for Wimbledon this year? Oh, no, I had to, I had to get back and um, running a few, few different programs, Indigenous programs back here in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I was over there last year. Oh, my God, I just can't believe how fast time flies. <laughs> Wimbledon's changed a lot, hasn't it, since your day, as it were? Um, not really. It's, it's, you know, when I went back there, I still felt the same Wimbledon to me. The atmosphere and everything to me was the same. Like Paris, it brought back, you know, wonderful memories for me. Because, I don't know whether you've heard this story, but I read about Wimbledon when I was eight, seven or eight. And it was, it was a, a magazine, cartoon magazine story, and the story was about a young girl who was found, trained, and taken to this place called Wimbledon, <laughs> where she won on this magical centre court. I didn't know it was for, for real until somebody told me, said, yes, that, there is such a place. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I actually started playing tennis by hitting balls against walls, house walls, water tanks. Right. And I started off with an apple crate board, a piece of board uh, out of an apple crate box. My dad cut a handle out of that, and um, I saw my older sister and brother hitting hitting the ball against the wall, and I, being the third youngest, I went up, took it off them, and wouldn't give it back. <laughs> and so I kept hitting the ball against the wall, and um, I used to see how many times I can hit the ball against the wall, one bounce without making a mistake, write the highest score in the dirt, and then come back the next day and try and beat that score. And my hometown a small country town called Borellan, uh, Borellan, and I actually saw them build the wall at the Borellan Tennis Club. I think I watched every brick being laid, and the builder was getting a little agitated. I think he started going faster and faster <laughs> because I was peering over his shoulder <laughs> waiting for this wall to be built. And then when that was built... I used to play little tournaments against the wall, see how many times I can hit the ball against the wall, one mm. bounce without making a mistake, write the highest score in the dirt, come back the next day and try and beat that score. And the whole time as I was hitting against the wall, I used to pretend that I was playing on that magical centre court at Wimbledon. So you're living proof that fairy tales do come true. <laughs> 
dreams do come true. <laughs> and every time I went to sleep at night, I used to dream about uh, playing on that magical centre court. And obviously, a coach, well, came from Sydney, a couple of coaches actually, and saw me there during a week's coaching classes and eventually called the head coach in Sydney, Victor Edwards, and said, you know, better come and see this girl. I didn't know this was going on at the time. And uh, later on, he came down and gave some lessons and then told the local townspeople that if I continue playing tournaments and um, it was the townspeople that paid for my tournaments and uh, drove me to different country tournaments. And I certainly wouldn't be here unless I had that initial support of the townspeople of Baron. What was it that they saw in you, Yvonne? I think the, the keenness more than anything. I mean, you know, I was hitting against the wall pretty well every day. <laughs> Any chance I can get. And then the local townspeople, the people who entered me in my first coaching school in Baron, in fact, they entered the whole family at the time and I come from a family of eight and except for the real little ones they didn't put them in but I think there was about four or f- four or five of us uh, the oldest of the family we entered in this coaching school and um, and that's where I was found basically but I think that the local townspeople just saw how keen I was and really wanted to help was tennis quite common in your sort of community, in your family history and so on? Oh, yes. Particularly in, in country towns all around Australia. I mean, most people played tennis, and it was and night tennis. We had night sort of uh, lights for the evening tennis. And we lived just behind the tennis club. So, in fact, <laughs> the lights used to shine onto the back of our house, which was good because we had to walk along a long pathway to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the little outhouse in those yeah. days. <laughs> Gosh. And I eventually I, had, I started playing night tennis and playing comp- local competitions and, and the local townspeople entered me in country tournaments and so on. After the, the coach in Sydney said, you know, if she improves, then I'll invite her to Sydney. And eventually that's what happened at the age of nine. I was invited there to play... And I played the junior tournaments during the school holidays. And it was 15 when I started living permanently in Sydney, mm-hmm. going to high school, and then eventually travelling over to, to Wimbledon, mm-hmm. <laughs> to England, basically, and played tournaments then. Did Wimbledon live up to that magic that you'd felt when you read the book? <laughs> Not the first time. Not the first time, because what happened was, apparently the people in in England had been reading about me before I even got there and so they put me on centre court my first match they don't normally do that but they did that with me yeah (laughs) and I remember I was drawn to play an American lady named Peaches Bartkowitz right still remember her name how could you forget that name anyway (laughs) how could you forget yours (laughs) yeah what about mine yeah it's got a ring to it though (laughs) yeah indeed (laughs) Teacher's part to it. Anyway, so I remember waiting up in the top dressing room, and then when they call you, you have to walk along a long corridor downstairs, then an- along another long corridor, then you go go turn left and you wait in this little room with your opponent, and all you could hear was the ticking of the clock. So by the time I got out there, I looked up once, saw all the people did not look up again and wanted to get off there as quick as possible. (laughs) 
and scared the hell out of me. Oh. <laughs> Luckily, in those days, they didn't have chairs on the side of the umpire's chairs mm. for us to sit down. And I was glad, and they didn't have TV breaks. I was really glad because I just walked from one side to the next <laughs> very quickly. And, uh, of course, she killed me. And oh. then when I came off, my coach said, uh, Vic Edwards said, uh, don't worry, says, you know, we'll enter you in the plate event for first and second round losers. And, you know, and then maybe, you know, you can get used to the atmosphere and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I played that and ended up winning the plate event. It must have helped because the next year I came back, I ended up winning yeah. the French and then Wimbledon. And I played Margaret Court, my hero sort of growing up. I still have a photo of myself you know, sort of peering up at Margaret when I was, oh, I think, about 12, 12 years old in Albury, another town where, where she come, she was brought up in a little town called Albury. And a couple of days ago, I interviewed the daughter of Dan Maskell, the commentator. And she oh, said really? that um, you had been one of Dan's favourites, that he'd always really admired you for your tennis, yeah. Oh, I huh. do remember him very well, too, actually. Hmm. He was very much a big part of my first um, trips to, to Wimbledon, yeah. England. And um, I still remember his voice. <laughs> yes, fantastic voice, yeah. No, he was, he was very, a very dear, dear gentleman for me, too. Uh, and, and last year I saw you walking across Centre Court with Sue Barker, I think, when she was interviewing you. And, and yes. whenever you walk on the court, even now, does it give you a special feeling, a tingle sort of thing? Oh, yes. It, it takes me back to my dreams, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Mm. <laughs> I sort of, it's something that, I, you know, as I told you, it's something I've been dreaming about for since I was eight or nine. So when you held up the Wimbledon Trophy the first time in 71... You just think, I can't believe this. This is actually the Wimbledon Trophy. I'm on Centre Court. I've just won. Yes, just like that storybook. Yeah. Just magazine. <laughs> really? Yes. Uh, well, but well, firstly, I couldn't believe that I, I beat, you know, my hero growing up was Margaret Court, and she beat me before even going overseas. Mm. Um, she beat me most of the time. And I did, did beat her once before travelling overseas and I thought at the time I thought wow if I can be fair I might be able to do alright overseas (laughs) (laughs) anyway when I I did play against Margaret I thought gee she's not playing very well she was missing the lines and timing was off and and I thought you know oh good maybe I'll win then (laughs) (laughs) anyway ended up winning and um, anyway found out later that she was pregnant oh wow yes (laughs) with Danny Right. Yeah, and uh, and I I do understand how that feels because I remember I played one of the U.S. Opens against Chris Everett in the final, and all my timing just completely left me. I just played terrible, and uh, found out after that I was pregnant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, so I was glad that um, she was pregnant at that, that time. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, that helped me win my first Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't win again for nine years, which is very unusual. Finals. I think as a Big Bill Children had the same record or something. Nine-year span. I think that's what it was. Big Bill Children had a nine-year span between Wimbledons. But he wouldn't have had a child in between. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> in fact, when I, when I did win the second time, 
I was just going up to, you know, shake Chris's hand, and then one of the officials came up to me and said, and did you know you're the first mother since Dorothy Lambert Chambers in 1914? God. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no congratulations, that's all he said. Oh. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember that, you know, right up to today. I mean, just, that's the only thing he said to me. <laughs> Another eccentricity. Dorothy Lambert Chambers in 1914, and apparently in those days she only had to play the final because she won the year before, so she didn't go through all the other rounds. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of trivia for you. Yeah, no, that is quite amazing. Well, it wouldn't be so good if it happened today because they'd always have the same winner for years and years. But uh, <laughs> Big deal for a tennis player to have a child mid-career. Were people strongly advising you against it? No, not at all, no. No? I would have kept playing anyway, even if somebody did, <laughs> because, you know, I just, just loved to play, and I found that after I had Kelly, I mean, I felt great, and I, I won a few tournaments even before winning again in America. So I, I was, you know, playing terrific, and I, I, that's the first thing I wanted to do, was I wanted to get back on the tennis court. I felt terrific. I think Kim Clijsters is one of the rare ones these days to have had a child and then come back successfully. I mean, so many people like their agents and sponsors and all sorts probably would have been sighing, thinking, oh, no, she's, you know, blowing it. We need her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, nobody said anything to me. Not at all. I, I always knew that I was going to keep playing anyway, and, uh, but, but I just so happened, I, I just felt terrific. In Did fact, you... if anything, I felt probably stronger. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think if you hadn't taken that little break in between, you might have won one or two more Grand Slams? Well, as you may know, I mean, I got to the final a few years between those years. Yes, indeed, yeah. But didn't win. <laughs> mm. So, you know, I had other, other uh, opportunities. But, um, no, it's the, the only, one, only Grand Slam that I had not won, I guess, was um, the US Open. Yeah, why do you think that was? Well, I had tough players around at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think got to the finals four years in a row. And along with and the other person who was runner-up in the US Open four times was Bjorn Borg. But I did it better than him. I did it in a row. I was consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think in but, a way uh, that there just wasn't your one surface? One of those years I was pregnant. No, I just didn't feel anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember... One of those U.S. Opens, I uh, met uh, Billie Jean King in the final, and it was probably one of the best matches that I've ever played, but I lost. It was unbelievable. The tennis was just fantastic. I do remember at one stage, there was just a, a really long, very long rally, drop shots, volleys, everything. And then I remember going to pick up the ball at the back of the, back of the court, and I had goosebumps, and I thought, I can't believe we just had that rally. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. I mean, the crowd just went went crazy. And Billie Jean was at the top of her top of her career. And of course, when I came on the scene, there was Margaret Court and Billie Jean King were like, I think a toot and froed. I'm not sure, but uh, one and two in the world. So you know, I had those two to contend with. Uh, when I came on the scene and was able to beat them a few times, but, but they beat me more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually good for me to, to have somebody like those two to push me all the way. Really. Yeah. And then then later on, 
and Chris, Chris Abbott. A few years later, she came along. And then, then a few years later, Martina came along. Yeah. And at one stage, there was Billie Jean, Margaret, myself, Chris and Martina all playing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. So it was, it was an amazing, amazing time, really, mm. for me. We had, had such great champions out there Definitely. to contend with. <laughs> Tennis players seem to be judged, especially once they've retired, on the amount of Grand Slams that they've won. How frustrating is it for you that you didn't quite manage to win a U.S.? frustrating but you know if Bjorn Borg can do it I could do it too <laughs> <laughs> no I mean it, you know I, I do know that if I had the chance I mean one of those years I was I was pregnant and I just didn't feel anything you know and as I said I played one of my best matches against Billie Jean King so no I don't don't really think about it too much mm. <laughs> no I, I mean I think during my whole career I just love to be on the tennis court just loved it out there competing. It enabled me to travel the world and meet the people that I've met and just happy to have been part of it all, really. And I, I certainly wouldn't have been able to do that in the first place unless I had the initial support of my, the townspeople of Burrellum, my oh. hometown. It's a wheat and sheep growing area. The population's then growing up was only about 700. That counted the people inside the town and outside the town. And now I think there's only about 500, 500. But we do have the big racket. The big? Racket. Racket. It's a replica of the racket that I played with. Really? My own model with my face on it and my signature. It was a Dunlop, Dunlop racket. And it's nearly 16 metres high. And it's like a statue, is it, in your local it's town? A big, it's, it's actually a big racket, yes. Oh. A replica of my, the personal racket that I used. <laughs> and a big ball, big Donald ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's kind of like the centrepiece of the town, I think. <laughs> when some people, particularly outside Australia, you know, learn that you came from an Aboriginal family, they, they may sort of imagine you, you had a rather primitive existence as a child, but it doesn't sound <laughs> to have been the reality, is it all? Well, uh, I noticed that around. I remember, I remember when I played in America, there was a gentleman. I overheard him say, Now, Gulagang, what sort of name is that? <laughs> I think it's Oriental. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, their idea of what an Aborigine was, mm. living out in the wilds. There was a lot of us that didn't live in the wilds. Yeah. <laughs> we came from a very small country town and from a big family but we were the only Aboriginal family in the town and my dad was a very hard hard worker he was a sheep shearer during the shearing season and then worked on the wheat during the wheat season and his boss took him to Burrell the whole town to Burrell because he was such a hard worker and so we became really literally became part of the town in fact now they have not just a big racket with my name on it, but they have Yvonne's Wall. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne and, and the Goolagong Park. Oh, fantastic. Park. So it's, <laughs> we just had the centenary, Borellan Centenary right. uh, last year, and uh, it was amazing. People came from everywhere, and they had wheat drays and um, sheep shearers on the back of big trucks, and, and I went around in a parade and everything. <laughs> oh. It was amazing. 
It was fantastic. So basically that's what I'm doing now, is trying to help other young Indigenous players, you know, play to, well, play, not just play tennis, but using tennis as a vehicle to create jobs and give out tennis scholarships to different schools. And uh, all the sort of things that the townspeople did for me, I'm trying to give other Indigenous kids opportunities. That must make you feel great to be giving back, because you did so well. Oh, I love it. I mean, they're just mm. like a big family now. My husband and I have been running the Goolagong Development Camp for all the best Indigenous kids from around Australia. For the last seven years, a national camp during the first week of the Australian Open. And through that camp, we give out tennis scholarships to different schools for different kids and coaches, administrators, Indigenous coaches, administrators and it's just going so well that now and my dream was also to try and get as many Indigenous kids playing tennis as possible and that will be happening very soon. The government has given me some funding along with Tennis Australia to do <coughs> come and try days all around Australia to try and get as many Indigenous kids playing the game as possible, starting from the age of eight up. And then we plan on doing um, state camps yep. with the best kids in each state and then eventually feed them into our national camps. Have you got any really outstanding ones going through your hands at the moment? Well, there is, there is one. Uh, in, there is another Indigenous girl that actually uh, is working through to, with Tennis Australia Ashley Barty, and she's 14, fantastic player, and a great role model for our kids, but within our national development camps, as I said, you know, it, it's using tennis as a vehicle to create jobs and uh, become coaches and go to schools and tennis scholarships, pretty well everything, and hopefully from then we may, may find another champion, and by getting more indigenous kids involved in tennis we have a better chance of finding that champion of the future but at the same time we're, we're helping them create better lives for them and i'm really enjoying that uh, I, and I feel like they're all my kids <laughs> to go back to your own career if i may um, most tennis players say that the ultimate is to win wimbledon which obviously you did twice but did it mean more to you to win the australian uh, i know you won that four times because it was your country, and your country's, you know, helped you so much. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It did. Uh, and, I, of course, I love playing on grass. And most of our uh, state tournaments in those days, in the 70s, were, were on grass courts. So our nationals uh, were, were held, in, held in Melbourne at Kuyong. And just loved playing there. And, yes, it, it does help playing in front of your own crowd, which is probably why I won for <laughs> Uh, to get that support, and uh, and I, I wanted to win not just for myself, but for them, yeah. basically, I think. And um, just love, love playing there. One of the reasons that you're loved universally is because, despite being a fantastic player, you played with such femininity and elegance and grace. You know, we, we loved that, and we really miss that these days. Oh, um, well, I, I didn't know that I was graceful until somebody told me. Oh, uh, no, because I, I, I don't know, I never watched myself. I didn't like the idea of watching myself. And I did not see, I think, one of my Wimbledons until last year. Gosh. <laughs> For the first time playing Chris Everett. 
Because you just couldn't face watching yourself. I don't know. Just it was just a weird sensation, you know. Yeah. I just went, oh, I think I'm so I never really wanted to <laughs> until now. So mm. I finally watched my first one. So, <laughs> so that's another reason why I, when somebody came up and said, "Oh, you know, you're a very graceful player," and I said, "Am I?" <laughs> <laughs> no idea. But How? anyway. But that's nice, thank you. <laughs> no, well, no, not at all. How have you felt about the dominance of the power game in recent decades, though? Well, it's a different time, isn't it? And different technology. I've had that question asked to me so many times. Sure, sorry. <laughs> and the, that's okay. And the answer that I came up with recently is, wouldn't it be interesting if we gave them wooden rackets today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And smaller face rackets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, I just think that if we can combine both, you'll yeah. see a, a bigger variety in the in the type of tennis. You probably see more drop shots, volleys, uh, pretty well everything. Uh, you can't rule out sort of players. One of the other questions that I was asked was, you know, how do you think you'd go? You know, I said, well, if if myself and Billie Jean and Margaret Chris. If we're all born at the same time with mm. these rackets, they'd still be there. They'd still be there mm. because they, they, they're champions. I bet you wish they'd had Hawkeye in your day. day. Oh, yes. Times have changed, haven't they? Yeah, that's a fantastic development, though, isn't it? No, no. Well, I, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what they could do today. And it's very well needed, really. Yeah, it's great. And the first time I can recall a tennis player shrieking on hitting the ball was Monica Sellers. I don't know about you, but now so many of them do it. What, what do you make of it? Because I, I really think they're cheating, to be honest. <laughs> it's I very do. noisy, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, Sharapova, Azarenka is another terrible... Um, oh, you just wonder where if it's necessary. Yes. Really. I've noticed... I mean, I don't normally watch a lot of tennis myself. And that's why I'm probably, you know, I haven't watched myself. <laughs> but um, I don't really watch watch a lot of tennis. At Why? Because I never was never a watcher all the way through. Right. I'd always love playing. I'd go go prepare, practice, go play, do my press conference, and then I mean that's most of the day gone. So I just left. I never really stayed around to to watch matches. You know, I preferred to go out shopping. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever I was. <laughs> And so I never really, you know, watch many. But but the tennis that I have watched recently, I mean, I'm like, my God, it's so noisy. Yeah. And is it necessary to make that much noise? I mean, some of the players actually, they let out this big groan or scream actually after they hit the ball. Yeah. And I, I you know, I just don't think that's fair, really. Absolutely. For your opponent. That's why I say it. Is it necessary? I don't think it is. Because there are also some players, obviously, that, that don't scream mm. out. I don't know. I mean, I, we never certainly didn't do it when we were growing up. I, I, I never would, wouldn't want to do that anyway. I didn't, wouldn't want to draw attention to myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I, just, I just don't think it's necessary, really. No, I mean, if I did it at my local tennis club, I'd get thrown out of the club for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. During our time, that probably would have been too. Yeah. <laughs>
What do you make of the huge amounts of money paid to top players these days? And you think back to your day. Well, you know, big thank you goes to Billie Jean King for drawing attention to, to women's tennis and forming the Women's Tennis Association. I, I remember when she played against this Bobby Riggs. Yeah, the Battle of the Sexes. draw attention to women's tennis and she ended up winning <laughs> and made everybody set up. And then we did the women's tournaments in America and around the world. And I guess with Chris Everett and I and Billie Jean and in those days and Virginia Wade, um, Margaret, Martina, you know, sort of on the tour, I remember getting to the finals several times against Chris and we, we drew attention to women's tennis, I think. And it's all because of Billie Jean. Yeah. I mean, a big thank you goes to her. And yes, they do get a lot of prize money, but um, that's what Billie Jean was all about. She wanted to become, you know, equal prize money between men and women. I think I was born at the wrong time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, even even during my time, it was it was pretty good. The money was even better than it was before that, and all because of Billie Jean. Yeah. Are you still mates with the likes of Billie Jean and Chris? Um, I, d I don't get to see them very often. Only well, I did see Billie Jean at uh, Wimbledon, but even then, I didn't see her for very long. To, to sit down and have a good old yarn. Uh, Chris, I haven't seen since I played. I don't think she's... Has she been back at Wimbledon? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. Well, well, that's the first time I'd been back in it for a long time, so I don't get to see many of the players, but it, I must admit it was fun in Paris because I met up with Francoise Dour. Yeah. Do, do you remember Francoise I Dour? do, yeah. Short hair, <laughs> French girl, yeah. I remember her. Okay. Well, it was fun catching up with her, and we just had a good laugh about, about things. And I saw Martina there, and another older player, Leah Pericoli, an Italian player who was around when, when I first came on the scene. And uh, we all sat at the same table at one of the functions, and we just had the best time. Oh. <laughs> it was funny. And uh, was it Virginia Rosic? Yes, I remember her, yep. Yeah, Virginia, she was there. Uh, Jan Codes. And Kodes was there with his wife. I can't think of his name, but um, but it was it was fun catching up with them all. So um, yeah, so looking forward to seeing him again. Now many players seem to need to almost hate their opponent when they play them to to play better. But you always, as I said, seem to be so graceful and and not have that necessity. Would that be right about you that you never needed to hate well, your? I, I, I think I, I probably thought more about myself really trying to find myself up within rather than, you know, trying to hate somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was more about firing myself up and, and practicing and training hard and feeling good about the way I was playing, about the way I was moving and serving. I think it was more about me, of how I felt, and and the and I guess the, you know, I did that in the practices before the actual matches. And then... Um, yeah, I think it was just more myself, really. I could never thought that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, have you got any lovely memories of meeting our royal family uh, over the years that you would have been presented with a few trophies by them, I should imagine? Well, actually, the, the moment that I do remember, and I still have a photo, is actually going to Buckingham Palace and, and receiving the MBE. Tell us about that. 
Oh, it was absolutely amazing, and then going to the garden party after it, <laughs> and uh, it was a, it was a wonderful thrill to for me to be able to meet her for the first time instead of just seeing her on TV or whatever. <laughs> and it's you know the same for me now when I've come back to Australia. When I came back to Australia after living in America, I wanted to find out more about my Aboriginality, and end up doing a book and travelling around and. Um, learning more about my elders and to me in the end you know they they are like my kings and queens i guess you could say are my are my uh, are the elders of um for instance i come from Wiradjuri country which is in new south wales and it's quite a big country and there were there was hundreds of little countries uh aboriginal countries within australia and i come from Wiradjuri country so I did family trees and so on and traced it right back and um, uh, ended up meeting up with a lot of my so-called, my, my ancestors, my, my elders, who to me now are like my kings and queens, oh. I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been, a, it's been a really fascinating journey yeah. for me. And it was a, a bigger thrill also, you know, meeting the queen in England. In her own backyard, really. <laughs> <laughs> She's supposed to not like tennis, actually, the Queen. They say she doesn't like it. Really? She, I don't know. She was there for Virginia Wade's victory in 77, but she hasn't yeah, gone on I, I, I took um, Morgan, my son was just born, and, um, and so I, I um, went to Wimbledon, took my mother to Wimbledon, and, um, and she said, oh... Why aren't you playing? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, and that was what was great to see. See Virginia win. There it was just magical for for the whole country, really. So why have Britain been so deprived of tennis success? Well, I think you know, compared to when you know, let's say Virginia was playing and I was playing and Margaret, and compared to those days, there are more countries actually playing tennis. I mean, there are a lot more Russians, a lot more Europeans are doing well, you know. You're up against a lot more now. There are a lot more, lot more players out there now compared to when we were playing. And I'm trying to do my bit really now since I've been back in Australia. You know, I'm trying to get as many Indigenous kids playing and, and hopefully get some more champions out there. Yeah, it's been a while for Australia uh, as well, hasn't it, really? Yeah, oh, well, we've got Sam Stozer, we've got uh, Bernard Tomek is another very fantastic young young player. Yeah. But we need we need some more out there, you know. So so since coming back to Australia, I've, I've been doing uh, with Tennis Australia come and try days for young girls to try and get as many girls playing the game as possible. Mm-hmm. But now now I'm doing the Indigenous programs to try and get as many Indigenous kids playing tennis possible and hopefully through that uh, we can get some get some more champions out there so do you think britain should do the same thing with our kids well i think that's that's um yeah you've got to try and get as many kids you know involved in tennis but you know you're up against soccer Mm. football (laughs) and other sports there you Mm. know but i think it's it's best to try and start them out really young and that's what I'm, I'm going to be doing with Indigenous kids, starting them out really young, from the age of eight, all the way through. Yvonne, I think I'm right in saying that your husband's English, isn't he? Yes. How did you meet him? 
Actually, um, it was just be of the first year, really. I think Patricia Edwards, my coach's daughter, was dating John Page, and Roger was his best friend, and we were kind of like tag-alongs. <laughs> <laughs> so over the years, we, we kept seeing each other, and, and presto. Oh. <laughs> You had a lot of male admirers, I think. Did you not well, get, get lots of fan no. mail from men when you were playing? Um, yeah, I had a few. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, and a lot of lot of uh, old people too. You know, wanting autographs and um, you know, sat down with their cups of tea, I guess, and enjoyed watching me play. <laughs> and it was lovely. You know, I tried to answer as much as I possibly could, and um, still, still trying actually. <laughs> <laughs> I still get some fan mail from England, actually. Oh, do that's and, nice. And through Europe, Germany, America, and obviously because you know, played in all those countries, Japan, mm. everywhere. So, mm. what do you remember of your wedding day? Was that a big um, occasion with lots of celebrities and so on? No, we wouldn't want that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were married in a registry office. <laughs> in England, wasn't it? Very quick in England. Yeah. yeah. And then you had a proper celebration in Australia, didn't you? Um, in each country we lived. Gosh. <laughs> in, in America and then in Australia. Uh, we had a church blessing in my hometown in Borellan. Tell us about your children now, um, their names, ages and occupations, if you would. Well, Kelly, Kelly, she's 34 now. And she did some acting for a while, ended up getting very sick when she was in America. And now she's she's living with her boyfriend in Melbourne, mm -hmm. and she's working in a big department store as mm -hmm. manager. And Morgan is here in uh, Noosa doing landscaping. Do you wish they'd gone into tennis at all? Oh, no, because poor Kelly, you know, every time somebody had come up to her, they'd say, are you going to play tennis like your mom? And after a while, Kelly's eyes would start rolling because they asked me that question one more time. <laughs> so, so no, no. And I don't, I don't believe in pushing no. also. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the home that you live in? Is it full of memorabilia of your career? Oh, no. No, I'm not that type of person. <laughs> not really. Hmm. Um, just of my travels, some, some you know, gifts and stuff that people have given me. And No, not really. And do you have a tennis court there? Do you still play? I never did have a tennis court. You never wanted one? <laughs> I never take my work home. Right. No, not really. <laughs> do you not play at all nowadays? No, I don't. No, I um, had hip problems. Oh, okay. And I uh, couldn't run anymore, so, but I, I get out there and walk a bit. Um, that's about it. Yeah, mainly, mainly just walking, uh, which is nice. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Could you just tell me how you felt uh, suddenly being declared um, the world number one years after you were actually number one? What was that like? Well, I kind of knew it at the time. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, before computer rankings, I was number one in the world in 71. Uh, so I won the French in Wimbledon, and the newspapers said it. And it was in the newspapers, so that was before computer rankings. And then... Yeah, it was just a few years ago that um, we told someone from the Women's Tennis Association that, that I thought that I was, and, uh, and he said, OK, I'll go back and I'll check on it. 
we called us back and said, yes, you were. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, it's nice to know that it's official now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you like people to remember you as a player and as a person? Um, I guess as, as a fair player. I think it's just as a fair player, really. Mm. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, nice talking to you too, Peter. Thanks, Yvonne. All the very all best, the best to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.